The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. Your host is Jessica Pirro. In today's program, we will provide awareness and education on various types of crises, the impact they have on one's well-being, and provide help to empower hope for you or someone you love. This program will help you understand various types of crisis situations by hearing from experts in the crisis response field, as well as those with lived experience through a difficult time. Now, here's Jessica Pirro. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. I am your host, Jessica Pirro, and I am so excited that you tune in every week to learn about the issues that crisis centers across the country um, and internationally deal with every day to help those in need. June is Elder Abuse Awareness Month, and today we are going to discuss elder abuse and the prevalence, prevention, and ways to protect our most vulnerable adults. It's important to understand that these issues we talk about on this show are issues that we have a responsibility to take notice, to become involved, and to help those needing help, intervention, and protection. So to give you just a little sense of this conversation today, um, there's been a study that was based in New York, where we are coming to you live from, that estimates that 1 in 13 older adults in the state of New York have been victims of at least one form of elder abuse in the preceding year. The study found that major financial exploitation was self-reported at a rate of 41 per thousand surveyed, which is higher than self-reported rates of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse or neglect. And one of the things that I think is important for us to take notice is that as our population continues to to age into longer um, years in their life, it is projected by 2050 that the population age 65 and over is projected to be over 83 million. And that's almost doubling its estimated population of 43 million in 2012. So our loved ones living are living longer, more needs are occurring, and at times people become more involved in helping to care for them, which might also expose them to individuals who might take advantage of them or abuse them. So sometimes we need to make sure that we're paying attention to those that are around us, not only our friends and family, but those that are caring for our friends and family. So as we begin our discussion today, I want to make sure that if you have any questions as we go through the show, that you can email me at jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That is J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. So I want to welcome my guest today, Sarah Duvall is a staff attorney at Legal Services for the Elderly, Disabled, and Disadvantaged of Western New York. She handles cases dealing with elder exploitation and is a frequent presenter on the topic of elder abuse prevention. Sarah graduated cum laude from SUNY Buffalo Law School in 2012. Sarah is a member of the Council on Elder Abuse, 
the Spring Alliance for Elder Shelters, and the New York State Bar Association's Elder Law Section Elder Abuse Committee. She's been published in the New York State Elder and Special Needs Law Journal and is a recipient of the Women's Bar Association of the State of New York, Western New York Chapters, Outstanding Lawyer of 2012. So I want to welcome Sarah to the show, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me. So, Sarah, I think just to get started, um, why don't we just talk a little bit about what is elder abuse to kind of set the stage of the conversation? Well, elder abuse can take many forms. It is, it's difficult to, to quantify as one easy package, um, but typically it's taking advantage of somebody who is elderly. Um, in our office, we define elderly as 60 or older. Um, and it can be physical abuse, financial, emotional, sexual, or neglect. That's the five main categories we see. Okay. Now, what is the prevalence of elder abuse? Yeah. Do you have a sense of, I know it's, you know, I think a lot of these crimes are underreported. So what do you think is the prevalence of this issue? Uh, yeah, elder Elder abuse is really underreported. As you mentioned in your opening, um, there's an estimated one one out of every 13 um, older New Yorkers will be a victim at some time. Um, The the general statistic is that only one out of every 24 cases is ever reported. Mm -hmm. Um, That is, so it's it's really underreported. So to to be frank, we don't have um, a great um, handle on how prevalent elder abuse is, except for that um, the, the number of reported cases are just at the tip of the iceberg to what's actually uh, going on. Okay. What might be some some signs or symptoms to tell if somebody is being abused? All right. So this can run the gamut. It really depends on the kind of abuse. Um, generally, the what I've seen, this is anecdotal, but the number one red flag is uh, social isolation. Um, okay. There's a lot of similarities in elder abuse with the abuser as to the power and control dynamic in domestic violence. Um, abusers will come in and they are uh, the most often caregivers and they establish power and control over some aspect of the, uh, the, elder, the elder's life, whether it's financial control, whether the elder depends on them for caregiving for medical reasons. Um, it can be physical control, regulating them to one room in the house. Um, so the, the signs and symptoms are obviously different from financial um, to, to physical to sexual, but the number one red flag is social isolation and the exertion of control a caregiver will have in the, in the elder's life. Okay. And I think that is important to, to notice the changes in behavior and social isolation being one of them as we're looking at abuse in general. Um, those changes in behavior should be something that people are looking for and looking out for um, with their loved ones, uh, regardless of age, but specifically around our elderly population. So I know um, when we talk about abuse, there's that difference between abuse versus neglect. Could you walk us through what the, the definitions of that and what those differences are? Yeah, sure. So um, abuse is definitely more of an an active, um, an active kind of, I don't know, an active decision. It's mm-hmm. it's purposely taking someone's money, purposely harming somebody. Um, and we um, divide neglect into two categories: active neglect and passive neglect. Mm-hmm. Uh, passive neglect, I guess, an example would be a couple aging in place together, and one 
one of the member of the couple is either physically infirm or uh, has a cognitive issue like dementia. So it falls on the other partner to assume a caregiving role. And they simply may not be able to perform that role and also not know that they're what the extent of care is needed. Right. So that's passive. It's not because they are purposely ignoring or purposely neglecting. It's simply that they are not aware of of, of what is needed. Right. Um, active neglect is more what we would consider abuse in that the person is aware of the needs and they are aware that they are unable to provide it and they are either unwilling or purposely not not taking the steps they need to ensure that the person they are tasked with caregiving is getting the care they need. Right, right. And I think that's interesting because, you know, life changes can happen quickly um, if there's an injury or if health matters decline pretty rapidly and everyone wants to be able to help their loved one, but sometimes their their own capabilities, depending on their age, might be challenged as well. And it, it's really interesting how that's categorized because it's not an intentional neglect. It's just that they're trying to do what they can do, but they don't have the ability or the resources to really meet the need of what that person care really does require. Yeah, and our uh, healthcare system does not make it easy to engage in this country. Absolutely, absolutely. So what are some warning signs that people could um, look for um, in elder abuse? I don't know if you want to highlight maybe specifically around, um, I mean, physical is, I think, a little more straightforward if there's bruising, if there's, um, you know, those types of things. But there's a lot of other subtle types of abuse that happen to our elderly. Is there other warning signs people should be looking for? Definitely. Um, again, social isolation, but also the emergence of a caregiver. And this can be a family member, a friend, neighbor, or sometimes you know, home health aide, who is in a position of trust for the elder, who doesn't seem to have their best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to stress that a lot of the signs of elder abuse can overlap with the signs of aging. So, for example, when we talk about physical abuse, um, people who are older tend to bruise easier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They may be on blood thinners, Coumadin. So, if someone's in an abusive situation with a caregiver and the caregiver is either grabbing them by the arm and jerking them around um, or, you know, hitting them, they're going to bruise. But also, as a society, we tend to look at older people as just bruising easier, and it, it, they do. But a, sign, a common sign of, of abuse is a caregiver who is confronted, you know, why is your mother so bruised? I've noticed even she has some fingerprints on her arm. Uh, explaining away the signs of abuse by aging. Oh, oh well, mom just bruises easily. And not letting the elder answer. So the caregiver are doing the talking. It's part of establishing that control. Right. Um, fearful behavior by the um, by the elder, um, and, and I, I cannot overemphasize the emotional and the psychological uh, toll of elder abuse on on an elder. Um, there are threats heard like. If you tell someone, you'll go to a nursing home, mm-hmm. and exerting yeah. that control um, is is. So again, um, specific signs and symptoms when you're going to be, there's, I know there's the 
soil clothes, deterioration in living conditions, uh, financially you can look for bounced checks or overdue bills. Um, there's, there's those kind of common sense signs, but if you have a caregiver in there and they are doing and you want to find out more and they're answering the questions and they're explaining away the signs of, of, of aging, the abuse, then that's, that's a huge red flag. Absolutely. And I think that's interesting when you talked about um, when you talk about power and control in general, but the types of things that are used to threaten um, an elderly loved one of, like you said, if you do this or if you say anything, then we'll put you in a nursing home and that fear of losing that um, independence as well as, you know, people do want to age at home. Um, you know, and stay in their homes. And so that threat of that being lost, I'm sure, keeps people very, like you talked about, the isolation, but just very silent to to reach out for help or to say anything because of that threat. So that's a really important piece of, um, I know sometimes people joke about that type of stuff, but we, you know, for caregivers and, and people paying attention to someone that's caring for their loved one, um, that joke isn't funny to them, especially if it's being used as a way to control and abuse them. So it's just an interesting point that you highlighted there. Um, so I know we touched a little bit about, you know, uh, the who the abuser is, um, but I'd like to dive a little deeper into that because I think there's there's a couple different um, people that can present as the ones that could abuse somebody that is older. So I know family members um, kind of tend to be the first one we think of. Um, so who else could be considered perpetrators of elder abuse? Well, uh, friends neighbors, um, home health aides, and it's really nine out of ten circumstances of elder abuse is um, the, the perpetrator is someone that the elder knows and trusts. Whether somebody's been in their family, somebody's been in their life, a friend or a neighbor or a home health aide who's maybe become a part of their life. And most of the time when I give uh, presentations in the community we're out there, um, people think we're coming to talk about nursing home abuse and neglect. Mm, mm-hmm. um, but the reality is the majority of people won't end up in a nursing home. That's a small portion of the elder population that actually end up in a nursing home. Um, but it's gotten a lot of publicity. Um, nursing home abuse and neglect certainly happens. Um, but people don't realize that 9 out of 10 cases are by someone that, that you know and trust. Absolutely. And, you know, the point you mentioned, um, like health, um, health aides, health home aides, um, you know, we do rely on service providers in our community at times when we're not capable of caring for our older loved one. Um, but like we talked about at the beginning of the show is kind of knowing who's being brought into the circle and really paying attention to how that relationship is building, um, the signs and symptoms of how they're interacting with each other. Um, because, you know, I think that it may not be the family member, but it may be those that we're trusting to care for our loved one. Um, and it's really critical that we were keeping our eyes on that and going back to the signs and symptoms you mentioned. Um, if they're talking away what has happened um, or if you're questioning what is going on and they're doing that same thing, and it's something that people need to kind of have their radars up and, and paying attention to. Um, you know, you mentioned nursing homes, um, institutional types of settings um, is a smaller kind of poor of when you talk about elder abuse, um, you know, is there any sense of a prevalence of how often um, abuse might occur in those types of settings? Is that hard to really 
kind of pinpoint? Yeah, I mean, that's hard to pinpoint. And frankly, our office, we don't handle the nursing home abuse and neglect cases. We've gotten a few referrals. Um, if But if you are in a situation where you're concerned about abuse or neglect in a nursing facility for a loved one, uh, I'd recommend contacting your local ombudsman program. Okay. Um, they are people who are in nursing facilities um, who are liaisons between uh, the nursing home administration and the and the resident of, of the facility. So if you're concerned about that, certainly contact the local ombudsman in, in the facility. Great. That's a great resource to share with the listeners. So um, we, we're, we have a few minutes before we head into break. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, elder self-neglect so that, you know, I think what's important as we're talking about this, that it's important it's really necessary for us to kind of evaluate the different scenarios that we might be witnessing or observing um, to try to determine, is it abuse? If it, is it self-neglect? Um, is it that passive a, a neglect of a caregiver like we talked about? But can we talk about a little bit about what is elder self-neglect? So just their own self-neglect and why that might occur. Yeah, um, so self-neglect is very, very tricky. And I think that... Um, Certainly, there's self-neglect. It's not choosing. There's hoarding is a form of self-neglect. There's, um, you know, not keeping clean and, and not taking care of oneself. Um, and that's that's something that in the, in one of the, the 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 issues that we struggle with is that people have the right to live the kind of life that they want to. Um, elders are not children. They're able to make the decisions. This is how I want to live my life. And, and we may think it's not appropriate and maybe even dangerous. Um, but we need, but it's so, but people have essentially, they have the right to self-neglect. Right, right. Where I like to look at it, though, is why are, why is this person self-neglecting? Are they unaware of resources? Um, and I, or are they, is there, is there something holding them back? Are they self-neglecting because... They don't think that they deserve to get the the care that they that they need. Mm, and that's a good point. I think we can we can talk a little bit about that further as we go along into our next couple segments because I think that um, you know in caring for our elderly um, loved ones, it's so important for us to really pay attention to their needs, their wants, um, but also what's the lacking resources that they have. Like you mentioned, because of aging in general, you know it's it's going to happen. Um, uh, people aren't going to be able to do what they were able to do. Before for um, and we have a responsibility to definitely step that up and, and help to support them um, so we're, we're going to be um, talking a lot about um, the different types of ways people can get help um, and reach out to our local community resources as we continue on into our next couple of segments today just a reminder June is elder abuse awareness month so we really wanted to highlight this topic today give you some information resources um, and also um, help to make sure that that people know when they listen to this show that they're walking away to know what's the right next step to take um, and the right next option that we can help to provide support for our family and our friends and our loved ones. And Sarah's really giving us some great resources in doing that. So um, we will continue on with the journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Um, please stay tuned. And if you have any e- uh, questions, please email us at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J P I R R O Voice America at gmail.com. Please stay tuned. You're listening to the stories, the journey, the stories of crisis and hope.
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pira. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in. As I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, June is Elder Abuse Awareness Month, so we're talking about elder abuse, its prevalence, how to prevent it, but also how to protect um, our most vulnerable populations. And today, my guest is Sarah Duvall, um, who's a staff attorney with legal services um, for the elderly, uh, disabled, and disadvantaged here in our western New York area. So, Sarah, why don't we start by talking in this segment a little bit about what are some of the challenges of why people might not come forward and report? Well, as you discussed, there's certainly the power control the caregiver creates. People might not think there's any other option for them, but that's really reinforced by the way our society, unfortunately, treats the elders in our our community. Um, there's There's a tendency to not value the contributions of the elderly, to value them as people, um, stereotype them as just old. And so when that's the world around you and that's being reinforced and you're being told that by a caregiver, essentially, you know, you don't have value, I think it's very, very difficult for people to to seek help and to know, to believe that they're worth uh, seeking help and someone will actually want to step up and assist them. Absolutely. And I think, you know, um, when we think about our, our elderly, um, you know, all that they've given through their lives and the contributions that they've provided, not only maybe to their family and their friends, but their society or their community in general. And as they age, the, becoming more frail and unable to do those same level of, of things, um, almost like you said, 
some can sometimes put a view of decreasing value, and it really should be honoring all that they've given uh, through the many years that they've been with us and to support us um, to our family and friends. So I think that's such an important, criti- you know, kind of critical message around this is that value of caring for those that have aged and and what role we all play um, when it comes to that. So um, I think one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit about is kind of that intergenerational abuse. So in what when I when I say that, I think what I talk about is we we see sometimes that um, in a lot of the cases we work with, and maybe some of the cases you've dealt with through the court system, that you have a history of abuse in the family. So maybe the child who was abused as you know as a as a young one is now the caregiver of the parent that was the abuser, um, or maybe there's domestic violence that has just grown grown old in the in the relationship and now is to the point of the elder abuse. So it seems like there probably could be cases that we're seeing that intergenerational abuse play out. Have you seen that in any of your cases? Or or I guess maybe another question could be what, when you're working with the family member who's working with the elderly person and you kind of suspect that maybe there, there might be that history, is there any difference in approach of how to handle that? Uh, yeah, the intergenerational abuse is, it's, it's certainly... Uh, something we see pretty often in, in our in our cases. Now, because we're a law office, we're not really working with the abuser. By the time the person comes to us, they've decided they want to take action, and so the abuser is an adverse party. Um, but I've seen it impact the desire of the client to take action because there is often a sense of, of guilt mm-hmm. as to what they happen, or maybe they weren't a, a good parent, or maybe there was abuse. Um, and getting over that and also saying, well, maybe I wasn't the best parent or maybe there was abuse, but also I don't deserve to be abused at my own age. Right. It's, it's incredibly difficult for people to get over. And we, we just like to stress that abuse is not okay at any age. Um, but it is, you see a lot of uh, very sad family situations mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and domestic violence that may have happened throughout a marriage. Um, and then the abuser throughout the, the the marriage is now the one who requires care from the person they they abused, right. and and that's also a pretty um, a, a, a very difficult situation. Mm-hmm. So you know when people come to us, it doesn't really you know the past to our agency it doesn't matter. Uh, past abuse does not justify present abuse. Um, right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think um, just there's so many dynamics when you have those histories, but really paying attention to the here and now and what that person needs in order to stay protected and safe um, is really critical for anyone who's working with with uh, elderly um, families or, or individuals. So what should be maybe the first step if somebody is suspecting abuse? What What should somebody do? So if you're suspecting abuse and you feel as though you can speak with the person you think might be abused, if you have that relationship, I would reach out to them. Make sure that you do it in a way that is speaking with them alone in a place they feel comfortable. You can't stress this enough. When somebody is in an elder abuse situation, they believe that their world may be controlled by this caregiver. Mm-hmm. So even speaking with them alone without the caregiver present may not be an option. If it is an option, you try to speak with them, see what's going on. Um, 
if that's not an option and you really do suspect abuse, if there is, we would briefly touch on the signs and symptoms, but frankly, a lot of it is, is common sense. It's only what to look out for. Mm-hmm. Um, there are several agencies you can, you can call. Um, Adult Protective Services, and every um, county in New York State is Adult Protective Services. There's a national uh, Adult Protective Services. Um, y- you can call your local Adult Protective Services agency and report that you believe that someone is, is being abused. Um, you can look up resources in your area. There may be a crisis services in your area mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, to call, and and that's also a good option. Um, certainly, if there's a legal services in your area and, and the person does want assistance, and you can call the legal services. Um, so reach out. That's the most important thing. Because if it isn't, you know, that's fine. But if it is, you may be the only person who's going to reach out on behalf of that. Right. Of, of the victim. Right. And I think it's important that people to know that in every community across the country, because we definitely have a national as well as an international audience that listens in every week, is that um, there are resources in each community. There's a crisis center or a crisis hotline that you can reach out to. I mean, law enforcement is also a resource. I mean, they get called in on a lot of cases if it's elder abuse or child abuse, whatever types of situations that might rise to a criminal nature, um, your law enforcement partners could also be a resource. But to find out who are those, either the adult protective services or the legal services that specialize in this population, which I think is important to highlight because um, you have a specialty in working with this issue. And it's really important to have those in the field that have this expertise to be able to really guide people. So really finding those types of of law services similar to your services here in Buffalo, New York and Western New York, um, that really understand the dynamics of um, elder um, situations or working with individuals with disabilities is, I think, important for people to know um, those experts are out there and they're they're waiting to be able to help you. So to to really um, pick up the phone or or make that call and just, you know, Google the resources that might be in your community is is important to help you through this. can we talk a little bit about financial exploitation and what does that look like and, and what are maybe some of the um, signs and symptoms specific to that that people could be looking out for? Yeah, sure. Financial exploitation is by far the most um, common uh, we see. And uh, it's also very underreported. Only one out of every 43 cases of financial wow. exploitation is ever reported. Uh, a few years ago, the prevailing number was that $2.9 billion was lost every year. But last year, another study was released um, by TrueLink Financial that estimated $36.5 billion is lost every year because of financial exploitation. Wow, okay. Um, it, the signs and symptoms, it, 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 it's... Anyone can be a victim. I've seen people who are just on SSI, and the SSI being that maybe make seven hundred thirty dollars a month, and everything but two hundred dollars was taken every month from them. I've seen people who lose five hundred thousand um, dollars. What to watch out for is somebody who doesn't know what's going on with their finances because somebody else has stepped in to to take over. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and this can be done through a variety of means. It can be a financial advisor. That does happen. It can be someone who is on a joint bank account. 
you know, hey, mom, I, why don't you put me in your joint bank account? I can write checks for you in case you get sick. People don't realize that joint bank accounts entitles a person who is added, even if none of their money's in there, they can withdraw right. all of the money. Right. Um, we see, unfortunately, a lot of misuse of power of attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, power of attorney is a very necessary but very misunderstood document. And uh, if you're listening and you're thinking about getting a power of attorney, uh, do it when when you understand what it is, and also do it when you after speaking with an attorney. All too often, we see um, mostly children of uh, elders show up and say, sign this, I'm going to be your power attorney, manage your money. People don't realize all the powers that it gives. Um, but yeah, typically people, elders are on a fixed income. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be on Social Security, a pension, some kind of annuity. So they have expenses every month that they're able to manage in a strict budget. And when you see disruptions in that, if there's increased gift giving, if there is increased withdrawals, use of ATMs, ATM use of casinos, mm-hmm. and the person's in a nursing home, they're mm-hmm. probably not going to the casino. Right, right. Um, and so uh, these are all, all, all warning signs. But really, it, it can run the gamut. It can be taking $20 out of you know grandma's purse to um, using power of attorney to sell a house without... The, um, the elder knowing and taking the profits. Now, I know um, through the years here in, in our community, um, just the training and awareness of those types of signs and symptoms that you mentioned um, is something that I know was talked about, too, with, like, banks. Um, people, you know, our um, older population, they, they'll go to the bank every week. They'll do their deposits. They'll get their money out. They have a routine, very established routine um, that they have as they, they grow, grow older and specifically specifically around money and how they manage their money. So I think it's important, too, for disciplines like financial institutions, banks, um, or even maybe like a grocery store, people that have a pattern, a routine of attending and going to, um, that if they see a pattern that changes very drastically or, um, you know, all of a sudden there's large amounts of money um, coming out of that uh, withdrawal that before was only 20 bucks a week, um, I think that there's a role that those types of places have as well to help identify those types of abuse. Have you seen um, kind of that interest in training or awareness like with financial institutions to help in preventing this type of financial exploitation? Have you worked with them at all? Or Yeah, we've worked with some fi- local financial institutions uh, for training uh, of their employees on on recognizing the signs of financial exploitation. We've also, I know that there are um, in-house training that happens at these institutions. Um, but New York State is the only uh, state that doesn't have mandated mandated reporting of elder abuse. So we're the only state yes. in the country that doesn't have mandated reporting, reporting. of elder abuse. Very interesting. Yeah. So okay. There is a provision in the social services law that protects somebody from uh, civil liability if they have reason to believe there's exploitation and they make a referral to, say, Adult Protective Services. I know that Adult Protective Services has a good working relationship with local banks. I will say that some banks are better than others um, and in reporting, and some banks are either easier to have a relationship with. Um, we've had success with local banks, um, but there are a couple um, more national that aren't as as willing to 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 share information. Right, right. Now that's just really interesting about 
our state not having mandate, you know, the mandatory reporting in comparison to other states. So in other states where that exists, if somebody witnesses some sort of abuse or neglect of an elderly person, there is like a, like a state hotline that they would reach out to to report that. So that's a resource as well that people can call um, in, I guess, all, all states except for New York, unfortunately. But that's a, another resource that people need to be aware of in their own states, that there is a statewide type of uh, hotline or mandated reporting system. Okay, that's good. Yeah, and if you're listening and you're not in New York State, check to see if you are a mandated reporter um, because every state has, uh, you know, the, the laws are a little different in every state. Um, but check to see if you are because you, you may well be. Right, absolutely. So what are some things that people can do maybe to help the and reduce the risk of elder abuse? Um, is there things that we can do from a prevention standpoint? Um, we talked a little bit about some training, but maybe family and friends. What are some things that they could do um, besides just kind of always keeping an eye out? But is there other things that we could share with our listeners to kind of learn of how to help prevent elder abuse? Yeah, I think keeping an eye out and, and making sure as much as possible that the well, I mean, it, so if you're an elder yourself and you're looking to prevent yourself from being abused, it is the old, I think Ronald Reagan said, trust but verify. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, trust, it's good to trust people. And I want to emphasize that this is a minority of cases. Mostly families are good and people do right. have people's best interests at heart. It's just not what our office sees. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't be afraid to ask questions and make sure that you maintain that social network if you're able to and, and, and maintain with 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 your family connections and, and keep things transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really important. Um, but if you're a family and you're looking out for someone, make sure that you check in often, um, that they have the care they need. Keep an eye out for things like, you know, decreased cognitive ability. So if somebody's exhibiting forgetfulness, um, see if you can, um, just keep an eye out for them, really. And I know it's like you said. Is there anything else we can uh, keep an eye out? Um, but that really is the best, the best way. Yeah, it's just like keeping that your eyes and ears open to make sure that if there is any changes in behavior, if there's differences in what they're saying to you or reporting to you. Or even just, I would think, too, as you're visiting your elderly relative, if there's changes in their environment, their home environment, maybe like you talked about, maybe things that they were doing before, um, you know, um, seem misplaced or, you know, they're kind of maybe um, maybe not as open because they're scared about sharing what's going on. I mean, that's also probably another kind of thing to keep an eye out for. Um, so, you know, I think there's a, a lot that comes down to just that self-awareness and kind of paying attention to the care of the family members that were around. Elderly people do not want to be seen as a burden. So... Mm-hmm emphasizing to them that they are not a burden and that you are happy to be there and really paying attention to them and actually taking the time to sit with them and speak rather than just dropping by or calling because they feel like you have to, um, that can be, that can play a role uh, larger than, than you realize. Time. Time is important, and that's a really important message that you just shared because sometimes people are just floating in and out, but we really do have to take time so that we can sit, we can talk, we can actually have a discussion and, and make sure the person feels comfortable to share maybe what is going on 
going on for them um, at that moment, and it might be life-saving for them um, to have that conversation as well. So we are talking about the issue of elder abuse, the prevalence, the prevention, and how to protect um, our our elderly loved ones. Um, We've talked a lot about uh, different signs and symptoms. So we're going to be heading into break, um, and I appreciate everyone tuning in today, and we're going to talk a little bit more about resources in our next segment. So please stay tuned. You're listening to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O voiceamerica at gmail.com now back to the journey here again is jessica pira Welcome back, everyone, and thank you again for tuning in to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Um, I've been talking with Sarah Duvall, who's the attorney from Legal Services for the Elderly, Disabled, and Disadvantaged here in the Western New York area, and we've been talking a lot about elder abuse, um, signs, symptoms, what to look for, and what we can do to help prevent that. Um, so we did have a question that came in from one of our listeners. That t- the question was, what role does dependence play in keeping victims from reporting? Right. So, I mean, dependence plays a, a large role, and I'll give a, a, a quick vignette of how a, a caregiver can establish that kind of dependence. Um, I'm going to use local because we're in Western New York, so um, we're in Buffalo, and our winters are pretty brutal. So um, people get older, and maybe going to the grocery store or going to the bank in the winter becomes something that they really just don't want to have to deal with, or frankly, they maybe even can't deal with, mm-hmm. you know, drive. So, uh, say, let's say a, a nephew says, you know, let me, let me help you out, you know, and I live down the street, I'll, I'll get your groceries for you, uh, no problem. And great, wonderful, family helping family. But that nephew begins to get the groceries and maybe his aunt gives him $100 and he buys maybe $20 worth of groceries and pockets the 80 um, But this goes on for a while. 
and then he's going to the bank for her and all of a sudden she notices, oh, my, my accounts are really low and this is strange. I, I don't know what an ATM card is, but I see that there's this ATM withdrawals. Mm-hmm. Oh, confronts Neppy, what's going on? Well, you know, I'm, I'm doing these, this work for you and I, I'm going through a tough time myself and I, you know, I, I needed a little money for rent. But, you know, really, I can stop, but then who's going to get your groceries? Who's going to go to the bank for you? And that's kind of the, what we see, frankly, um, we see pretty common. That's how the, the dependence starts. And then the nephew has assumed that role and has also been feeding for himself. And if I don't do this for you, I don't know how you're going to eat groceries or get to doctor's appointments. Um, so. Yeah, and it's a really interesting point that sometimes the, the um, reach out to help might actually be the reach out to establish that uh, way of starting to slowly um, take money or that um, other resources that that loved one might have. Um, so that's a, that's a, it's an interesting story. And I think it's, it's probably one you see on a regular basis. So it's important for, for everyone to kind of know um, that sometimes, you know, and it's not to say we can't trust the, our loved ones, but those are, again, keeping the eyes and ears open and, and that it's so easy and so subtle how those dependencies start um, with our love, with our elderly loved ones. Yeah. And even one thing to, to keep in mind, and we've seen this locally a lot, is um, the rise in the uh, opiate epidemic, especially mm-hmm. the heroin epidemic. Somebody who, a member who may have once been, you know, an okay caregiver, people get on, on substance abuse issues. That can really, um, that's a, also a, a big red flag that's been building over the past, you know, year or two, at least here. Right. right. Or just maybe taking property to sell for money or stealing, you know, um, other types of things from somebody and um, to, to feed the, you know, their addiction. Um, that, yeah, that's definitely another area for people to keep an eye on. So I just want to talk a little bit about your agency and the types of services that you provide. So can you just give us a little overview of what you do and the services? Sure. I'll, I'll try to be brief, but legal services for the elderly, we've been around since, uh, 1978, and we are uh, we provide free legal services to people over 60 in uh, Western New York. We actually serve eight counties of our okay. state now. Um, we've expanded a lot, but we um, have, have several areas we serve. We do foreclosure prevention, guardianship. Um, we have a consumer protection unit that just focuses on scams, which is something we're not even touching mm-hmm. on today with telephone scams. Um, we have a kinship care program petitioning for custody of, uh, of relatives. Um, we have our unit, a health care unit. Um, but our focus is um, providing um, services, legal services, to seniors in our area so that they may live with independence and dignity. Now, you mentioned scams, and I think we should touch on that because <laughs> yeah. I think it is an important piece. So what are, what are um, some of the things to look for to know if it is a scam? So what would be the things that they would be asking for or that you shouldn't necessarily have to provide um, to somebody that might kind of qualify it as a scam? Right. So if anyone's listening, I'm sure that you get uh, telephone calls at some point trying to sell you or you know, claiming people to come from the IRS. You need to give us information because you, you, know, you owe taxes and you need to send a check right away. Um, the most Best advice I can give on that is hang up the phone. Do not give out your information. If you think it might be legitimate, still hang up and then call back the agency or the person that says they're calling. Um, one common scam is the grandparent scam. Uh, grandma or grandpa gets a call from 
their grandchild who says, you know, I'm in Canada, I got um, beaten up, and I need to go to the hospital, I don't want my parents to know I'm in Canada because they're going to be so mad, can you please wire me some money so I can pay the hospital? Um, and that's very convincing. In the age of the internet today, you can find out a lot about someone and their family by just a few, uh, few type keystrokes. Right. And um, so, just you know, don't be afraid to be rude. Hang up the phone. I know that it's sad that we live in an age where you can't be too trusting, um, but don't you know? Don't don't fall victim to the scams by being too trusting and giving out information. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know too. I've heard. Um, with scams maybe with um, people that provide, you know, like handyman services or types of like lawn services or contracting services that they kind of do a door-to-door, you know, uh, canvassing and offer that they'll do something but paying up front before the work is done. And we've seen that happen as well. Um, I think with various ages, not just the elderly, but that is another type of thing to be aware of that if it's not a, uh, you know, a legit company or um, the services aren't provided and then paid for, those would be things to kind of keep an eye out for, I would think. Yeah, and check with your Better Business Bureau, um, you know, be a, be a smart consumer. Mm-hmm. It sounds too good to be true, it probably oh, it is. is. <laughs> right. Um, but also, we've seen a shift from the, you want a prize, you want a cruise, those are still certainly out there. But to the uh, the negative, it's if you don't do this, you will go to jail. If you don't send us money to the IRS right now, we're going to have you arrested. I've had clients call me in a panic that they think there's a warrant out for their arrest that day because they took out a payday loan seven years ago. And um, so it's really that that's kind of a new. Also, um, computers, uh, people calling you and saying there's something wrong with your computer. You need to log on. And, you know, there's a virus and I'll take care of it for you. Mm. But then somehow, I don't even, I'm, I'm not very, you know, tech literate. But <laughs> they get into the computer and all of your personal information can be downloaded. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Some good tips to, yeah. to pay attention to. So what are um, maybe some types of services that you collaborate with um, in the community? I know here at Crisis Services, we're a big collaborator with, with your agency as we provide um, elder abuse case management services. Services, working with individuals um, to provide support and guidance and um, maybe walking through a court process with them would be an example of that. So what are some types of collaborations that your agency works on? Yeah, um, elder abuse, the collaboration to handle elder abuse case is essential. There's um, multidisciplinary task force is kind of a newer uh, approach to this where agencies all get to sit around a table and discuss a case. Mm-hmm. I, I can't overemphasize the... Uh, importance of collaboration because when we get a case we can provide the legal end but there's a whole other host of issues that that person's going to need namely because of the caregiver the abuser that caregiver was providing some services mm-hmm. and we can't just get more protection get the caregiver out and say well good luck with everything now so yeah we, we collaborate with crisis services on a regular basis um, we work very close with adult protective services department of senior services um, we work with law enforcement um, we work with a lot of home health agencies. Mm-hmm. We work mm-hmm. with, uh, we have a whole, uh, it just came from a meeting of our council on elder abuse where uh, we try to get every agency who somehow touches on people who may be a victim of abuse at the table together. Um, nursing facilities, we've got um, senior homes, the agencies I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, being able to call somebody when I have a client who is in need of, uh, say, housing, 
um, and call to see what can be done. That's, that's, I wouldn't be able to do my job without the, um, the close work of our community partners, um, including uh, crisis services. You guys are really awesome to work with. Oh, thank you for that. We appreciate that. You're awesome to work with as well. (laughs) I know we work a lot very closely together. And I think it is an important piece that you mentioned that multidisciplinary representation is important. And like you said, you have a specific role and you have a specific service and you might help maybe instill some safety, like you said, with establishing an order of protection, but that dependence on maybe those other types of caregiving needs are now taken away. And it's really important for the care of that individual. And also maybe their willingness to maybe continue to follow through with actually pursuing an order of protection, for example, knowing that there's going to be services to help provide that safety net of support when this action happens, I think is so empowering and and really a responsibility to that person to make sure that we're kind of wrapping them in those types of services so that the outcome is successful all around and we're not causing more dire straits for them, even though it is a safety measure, but then is maybe putting them at risk in other ways. So that collaboration is really a critical piece and communities to, to, to work on. And, um, and if they don't have maybe community councils like we do here in, in, in our area, it might be something for agencies to consider pulling together those partners and having those conversations um, so that you can support each other um, to be successful in the cases that you're working with. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, shelter is a challenge for elderly population if they do need to leave their homes. Um, And one of the things that was worked on um, with the leadership of your organization, and I know we partnered with you on, is setting up what was called the Elder Shelter Network. Um, You know, can you just share uh, briefly um, what that was and what was the purpose of setting that up? Right. So, um Victims of uh, elder uh, domestic violence don't qualify for traditional shelters because their medical needs uh, often exceed of that of what a shelter can provide. So um, this has been a, an issue for some time, and um, actually I'm fortunate to be part of a network, uh, the Spring Alliance of Elder Shelters, and it was pioneered by a group in uh, New York City, uh, the Hebrew Home of Riverdale, and um a wonderful woman named Joyce Solomon out of there recognized the need for these elder shelters. So what we did in Erie County um, is we asked a group of nursing facilities if they would be willing to shelter somebody for 30 days who had a need to get out of an abusive situation but did not qualify for a traditional domestic violence shelter. And we had uh, several groups, McGuire Group and Absolute Care, agree to partner and so now if we get a referral from a hospital, someone's taken to a hospital because they've been in an abusive situation, they can't go back home, um, and they need to, they need care, and we need to time to put mechanisms like an order of protection, contact family members, and try to get them to a permanent safe place. Um, these facilities have agreed to house um, this, this person and working collaboratively collaboratively with crisis services at the same time, right? This is where time is a factor. So you need not just legal services, you need crisis services. We need to call all of our partners to get this person in a long-term, um, long-term safety, uh, long-term safer place safer for place. them. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we just had a, a, a recent success with that um, where a woman is now in a safe place and we're partnering with your agency. So it's, um, 
it's one of the most rewarding parts of my job. That's great. And I think, again, it speaks to the collaboration, coming together, bringing people together, and, and, and asking, you know, nursing homes um, what role they can play to help um, provide that shelter and safe shelter um, for that population, especially because there might be those medical needs or other needs that a general shelter can't um, assist with. So, Sarah, I just want to thank you so much for, for joining me today. We had a, an amazing discussion and a lot of resource and information about elder abuse and the role that everyone um, can play in helping out to prevent that. There's a lot of different resources in your communities as well as across the country that you could look at, the National Center on elder abuse, you could Google. There's also the National Adult Protection Service Association. And there's also an international network for the prevention of elder abuse. So those are resources you could check out to find your local resources in your community. So thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and do your part this week to provide hope to others. Thank you for tuning in to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join your host, Jessica Pirro, for another edition of the program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you here next week.